Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. So many guys ask, I want to keep my retirement. What do I do? And that's what we're going to talk about today on our podcast. I'm Scott Trout, managing partner and CEO, coming back to you with information for guys before, during, and after divorce. And today, of course, is no different. We're going to talk about retirement assets. It's usually a hot topic. And when we said, hey, I want to keep my retirement, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. And we're joined by Michael up in Colorado. Welcome. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I said it, you know, my clients say I want to keep my retirement. It's a hot topic. You know, you work hard for it. It's very personal. Uh, This obviously states are different. You go to California with community property. There's other issues with how do you value it? But what are some of the things you hear from guys, the phrases, those catch-alls that are kind of the triggers when we're talking about retirement? Oh, I hear a lot of stuff. Well, I got my notes here, obviously, but um, this is the kind of stuff we can kind of just go off book because I, I hear this so often um, that these guys come in and some of the first thing they're thinking is, um, you know, how do I keep my retirement? Um, or, and, and, and maybe they don't even really know what that means. Um, they might not even know what that is. They might not know their retirement very well. They just have it kind of ingrained in their in their head that they want to keep it, and they're willing to give up anything to keep to keep the asset, regardless of whether it will be there when they actually need it. They always do ask that question, and I wrote a couple down here that they, they do ask. I, I've earned my retirement, um, and I hear that possessive type uh, request, which is something you never kind of want to say in court, but I. I completely understand with where they're coming from. Um, I'm not even vested yet. Um, I don't even get anything until I retire. Uh, My employer contributed all that money. I didn't contribute anything. So I hear all these phrases and these are, this is the bell that goes off in my head that says, I understand where you're coming from, but let's sit down and talk about this rationally. So it's, it's the start of a conversation really. It is. I, I was just in a, well, I'll call it informal mediation with one of my clients. And I, and I told opposing counsel, I said, look, here's the deal. Don't even talk about the retirement in this session because we're, he'll walk right out. You know, it is, it's, this is what I earned. I earned that. I worked hard for it. You know, I put it's I, I, and I get it. This is a very personal, uh, it's very like um, building your own home where you put blood, sweat, and tears. And I built that home, you know, and you have these laborers and, and this is their specialty. It's their passion. And and I get it. So, you know, I guess a place to start is let's talk about the types of retirement because that matters when we're talking about how to deal with it in family law. So what are the types of retirement that guys are most likely to see and have? The federal government has really classified um, through uh, federal statutory law that says, look, we're going to, we need to govern. We need to start governing these uh, retirement plans because what, what was happening in the past is these private companies were making these promises that they didn't make good on. And so the federal government has said, look, we need to start regulating these things just because we need to to have tighter scrutiny on Mm -hmm. the laws and the promises. And so they came up with these two types of classifications that they speak about in the federal law, defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans. And so 
a lot of the uh, these participants, our clients mostly, um, they don't even know the difference between the two of them when they're really quite simple. The, the defined contribution plan is much like a, uh, a savings plan. It's kind of like having a, uh, a savings account at a bank. The savings plan at a bank, you're only going to get half a percent of interest on something like that. So that's not a good say, uh, retirement vehicle. It's not a good savings plan. But these defined contribution plans, they are more restricted. You can't touch them. Um, and they have an incredible amount of benefit and they hedge inflation and they have all kinds of interests and dividends that get paid to them. So, but when you get a statement uh, quarterly or monthly or whenever you receive it, it has a balance on it. And it says, hey, here's how much money you have in your account. That is how much money you have in your account. It's really great to look at that and know I have this much money in my account. The other, the defined benefit isn't quite as easy um, to value, which is why it is such a problem mm -hmm. um, in divorce. These are more like an IOU. This is a company or employer saying, hey, I owe you or I promise to pay you X amount of dollars if you're vested, yeah. if, you reach this, if you reach a certain age, um, and uh, I'll pay you until you die. That's great. That's a really great benefit. Um, a lot of people like that security knowing that, well, what if I didn't plan right for retirement? What if I live to 100, right? Mm -hmm. You want that payment to follow you, and especially in your older age when you're um, immobile or, or um, you need money for uh, healthcare issues, that kind of thing. So the two big, let's, let's kind of just review real quick because these come into play and these are important. We have a defined benefit plan, mm -hmm. which is a promise to pay you in the future that says, I'll pay you until you die. If you live longer or shorter, whatever, the plan will eat the cost on that. The defined contribution plan is just a savings account that says, thanks for all your hard work. You've contributed X amount of dollars to this plan. And now you have this exact amount of money in an account. I hope you make it last. Right. And so this is why I think it's good to have this conversation with you, particularly because that's what you are a big part of and what you do at Cordell, which is tax and benefits. And we talk a lot about well, which we'll mention later, quadros and how do we deal with the division and the analysis going into it. And so what are really, as you kind of in your experience, what are some of the issues when a guy comes to you and says, hey, I want to keep all of particularly my defined benefit plan? <laughs> and it's really odd. They, um, it's a great question because I get that question most on the defined benefit plan. Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I don't quite get that that question as immediately on the defined contribution plan, which um, is strange to me because, well, I do appreciate both plans. Um, I just see some as uh, more certain, more secure than mm -hmm. others. Um, but so when we're dealing with a defined benefit plan, you really have to make sure, and I think I touched on this just a little bit earlier, you really have to make sure that payment gets, gets made mm -hmm. in the future. And so if you've bought it out during a divorce, you've, you've done a present value uh, valuation on the plan. And let's say you come up with a $500,000 uh, $500, valuation and you buy, you buy your former spouse's portion out for $250,000. Well, now you have the full IOU from the bank. Mm -hmm. And so you're, <laughs> you might be 30 years away from retirement or collecting on that benefit. So you better hope and pray 
that that IOU gets cashed in 30 years from the bank. Right. I've seen a lot of plans um, go on. Well, they've cut back. So mm -hmm. what these plans do is sometimes they go completely bankrupt yep. and they're gone and they're not there when you need them the most. Fortunately, we have a federal agency that kind of regulates these plans. Mm -hmm. They promise some of the pennies on the dollar, right. uh, up to 60 cents on the dollar, which is great. You'll receive some sort of payment, but now you've overpaid for your retirement to your former spouse years and years ago, and you're not getting that full benefit. So yep. you need to make sure you know what the investments of the plan are, who the employer is. Um, if your employer is Apple, there's a pretty good chance your retirement's going to be there. Great, solid company, right. publicly traded. Um, but if it's a private company, um, then you need to do your, your research and make sure you feel secure buying out your uh, defined benefit plan. Yeah, it's like, I, well, I always say, I liken it to the state of Illinois. For many years, they've had budget issues, and it's because their pension that they want to pay to all their former employees is way underfunded. There's no way they can, if everyone retired at certain levels, they couldn't afford it. And, and, and they would only be able to pay 25 cents of every dollar that is out there. And so it is, you know, it's a big issue. And I think maybe the personal nature of why guys tend to think they're, they're more towards a defined benefit is they see, okay, when I retire, I get, you know, $1,450 per month. And it's kind of that, that fixated number that they're trying to plan in their head rather than a 401k that's got you know, $10,000 in it. It's not, it doesn't kind of correlate to the monthly benefit. Who knows, but I get it. And so what happens in your mind, if we have a military employee or a military person, does that change with the benefits that they may have or the retirement benefits that they have if they're in the military? You know, does your opinion change? Yeah, well, you know, it, I go about the analysis differently for sure. Um, I can't, it's tough for me to make the decision for them. I assuage them a little bit differently uh, when, I, when I look at the military, because like you're saying, you think about, when you're talking about your state or your local area, you think it's safer. Um, and sometimes that might not be true with your locality. The military plan, however, is such a great retirement vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, this thing is funded so well. The way it's funded, it gives these military members such a great benefit. Uh, it contributes to your, um, your final pay much higher than these private plans and these state plans and these uh, county plans. And so with this promise of a greater number, um, that's, that's a piece of it. But also um, the military, if, if, a, if a check from the Treasury Department doesn't cash, we have bigger problems than, um, than a bankruptcy, right? We have anarchy and pitchfork justice, basically. Yeah, That's right. what's gonna happen. So it is, I would consider it safe to, to kind of look at this differently if you have a military plan. These plans are so fantastic. Most of these private pension plans, their actuaries have done the math that they, so they start paying, you know, some of the early ones I see start paying at 55. Most of them start paying at 65. These military plans can start paying at 38. Um, and I actually have a, um, a good friend of mine went to um, the uh, United States uh, Naval Academy. And so he actually didn't even get into the academy straight, uh, right away. He had to go to the, uh, the prep, the preparatory mm -hmm. academy. 
And what is really cool about his journey is his pension started accruing for his first year of preparatory and then his four wow. years of the U.S. Naval Academy. And then all of a sudden, he only had, you know, he only had 15 or 14 years left to get the 20 years that he needed for this military pay. And so not only is your, is your pay high as an officer, which leads into your payment as military, but the, the, the way they participate and fund your retirement is huge. So this is, a, this is an IOU that you can take to almost any bank in the world and they will pay basically. So yes, we wanna look at this and make sure we make the right decision on, for the military pay. It's like police officers. I think I'm dealing with a case where the police officer can start drawing his pension, I think at 50, 54 or something odd here in the city. Right. Uh, and they get it early. It's really interesting. And so, uh, and it goes on for life. So it's, in, it is something of interest, but then, you know, here guys are listening and, and they're thinking, okay, this sounds great. I understand now, but how is the court going to divide, divide it? You know, what is the, the method? How do they determine its value or what is it going to look like for me on my defined benefit pension? Yeah, and so this is uh, this is something I've str- I'm sure you probably struggle this with this in your state too, uh, because every state is different. Every state has not every state. Most of the states have addressed this. You almost they've always addressed it in the district court. They've most most of the time they've addressed it in the appellate court, which kind of has a more thorough analysis. The unfortunate part is that they believe they've come up with a universal formula to divide all these pensions. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool, and I always refer to the the Florida case, the Florida case that has addressed their state's pension analysis is fantastic. It says, if you think you can come up with a formula that addresses how to divide every single pension, you're out of your mind. Mm -hmm. You have to look at each pension. You have to look at how it's been created and put together. Is it a service credit plan? Is it a ongoing time plan? Um, Is it a cash balance plan, which contributes a defined contribution to your defined benefit and then purchases the annuity at the end? So when you're dealing with this and you are going to divide that um, defined benefit, you need to work closely with your attorney. So they explain to you very carefully, what is my state? How do they approach a defined benefit plan? What is the formula? You need to also inquire about ongoing versus frozen benefits because it might behoove you in your state to do the pension benefit because they freeze former spouse's award as of that date of divorce. In some states, it's an ongoing formula that continues to award salary adjustments. And that, yeah. depending on the plan, can be very bad for you to accept a formula like that. Yeah. Talking about formulas and staying on that path, and we're trying to figure out date of divorce, what happens to, or if a client is invested? You know, there are, you know, certain things they have to be, as you mentioned, maybe service years, maybe it's, you know, age. What does a court do, or how does that affect the analysis and division if they are invested? And so a lot of guys struggle with this as well, because that's, like I said, that's one of their big questions too. Sometimes when they find out their pension can't absolutely be divided, they they can't comprehend, it it isn't mine yet to divide. How Mm -hmm. how can a state tell my, uh, my pension, my trustee, my bank, that a portion of this is now for the former spouse. And so, um, 
what's really cool is some of the, the states aren't, there's a majority opinion and a minority opinion on this issue. Um, the majority opinion is the states kind of do an if as and when, which basically means, look, we're gonna apply this formula. And if you don't get your pension, you're right, you're not vested. If you retire and it goes away, it disappears, we're not gonna force you to pay anything. Uh, but if you do, we're gonna look back and we're gonna consider the time during the marriage where there were contributions and kind of utilize that time to figure out what equity looks like. There are, however, some states, uh, two handfuls of states that say, well, if you're not vested, I cannot divide your pension. So you have the absolute right to stand up and say, I'm not giving you any of this. The problem with some of those states is that some of them say, well, you may not be vested. We may not have jurisdiction to give former spouse a piece of this, but we kind of have the jurisdiction to uh, allocate from some other asset, which is something you have to be worried about because then they're valuing the plan. And then you gotta be worried about what the valuation is gonna be and all that stuff. So, and then there's a, another handful of jurisdictions that can't reallocate or haven't made the decision to say I can reallocate in those situations, you might be able to catch a judge on that day and persuade that judge can't touch my yeah. pension. Right. So you need to look into that. You need to consider it and talk with your attorney about that. So there are things that need to be discussed. And a lot of attorneys, I think, tend to overlook them, uh, whether they were be surviving spouse or death benefits. Um, are there any things that, that guys should be thinking about asking their attorney uh, or considering when we're talking about pensions like this? Yeah. Uh, so when you, most attorneys do really focus on that annuity payment. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, it, and it depends on the level uh, of experience of, you, of your attorney, right? Because if you have an attorney that's been doing this 20 years, they're bound to have run this issue so many times. But this better be in their wheelhouse. All benefits attached to this pension better be in the wheelhouse. But right. if you're dealing with a younger attorney, you want to make sure they have a big network of attorneys they work with where they can bounce ideas off of and they, they need, they, you don't want to miss anything. And so the, um, the participant really needs to make sure they treat this as possibly their biggest asset. Um, this could be bigger than their primary residence. Um, this could be absolutely the biggest asset they're dealing with. And so when it comes to death benefits, that's one of the biggest uh, benefits I see missed in some of these plans. And you really have to be careful that you don't miss some of these things. Well, it depends who you are. Are you the participant or are you the alternate payee? Some plans have, um, they have an automatic direction they take in silence. So if you don't address some of these benefits, and there could be 10 other benefits, yeah. uh, if you don't address some of these benefits, they have an automatic in their, in their plan description, it says, here's how we handle silence on this issue. We either do or do not award this benefit to a former spouse, which can be very advantageous to a uh, participant. They could have, um, the federal government regulates a lot of these pensions and they say, look, here's, here's 40 things you have to do, but you can do anything you, anything else you wanna do, you can do as long as you do those, those, those number of things. So there could be, let's just say there's a death benefit that says we pay a million dollars to mm -hmm. your named beneficiary. That could be in the plan. Yeah. And the attorneys don't read this 50-page plan document. They don't know how to award that benefit. So you really got to look at everything that's in there and make sure you don't miss anything. 
I think it's so key. I mean, I, this is, you know, I've been practicing for, gosh, now I lose track, 29 years. And it's, it's one of the areas that I don't feel entirely comfortable getting into the nuances. And that's why we have this kind of this full service option at Cordell is where you focus on it. And this is your area. And there are family law lawyers throughout the country. And I know they're doing this division and, you know, they think, oh, by the time it happens, you know, if there's a mistake, I don't have to worry about it because they're long gone. So it is a word of caution for guys out there to find someone. Now you can have your attorney and then go get someone who can help you with, you know, the division. But reality is, and brings me to the next topic is I think through it is you've got your 403Bs, 401Ks, ESOPs, IRAs, and and I do this a lot where I will say, I mentioned to someone the other day, I said, look, if you don't want to give up your 401k, you know, you can trade other assets for it. Now, there's some real words of caution here because all things are not equal when it comes to property. We've got taxable interests to consider, you know, something's taxable, something's not, depends if you've got a raw. So what should guys be thinking about? I mean, they just don't want to trade a 401k for a piece of property or a car or something and call it square, right? Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, I always tell, you know, when I was litigating um, years back, not doing this full time and now focusing all my efforts on this, I would tell guys, uh, I would tell them the legalities, the rights that they have for some of these benefits. But I also tell them, look, have, have a plan. Yeah. Your, your world is, is unique to everyone else's. And I get if you want to trade off some of these assets for another asset. Um, I've had guys who want to keep their primary residence and I will talk through them with it. And I'll say, look, it's great to have a primary residence. I love it. I know it might be an emotional attachment, whatever it might be. Um, but sometimes I come upon these guys that tell me this great plan. They tell me, look, I can Airbnb this house and I can make, you know, $3,000 of unearned income a month and use it as my primary residence. That's a heck of a great plan. Mm -hmm. If you're telling me that all of a sudden, maybe I will listen for a trade-off of a 401k or whatever it might be. Um, you just need to have a plan to make sure you understand uh, some of the options. And so these 401ks are really great, especially um, as you probably have seen uh, in this market, these 401ks are hedging inflation like crazy. Mm -hmm. When you own a company, a, a, a private company, that their only job is to really make a product or a service or whatever, and they are really killing it. They're a publicly traded company. Their goal is to make money, make income. They are hedging inflation. They stay up to snuff on that. And your money is going to earn and stay on top of inflation. It's great. That's what your 401k is most likely invested in. And so when you have a 401k, you're really being preparing yourself for retirement. You're not going to fall behind. So if that's also true with a piece of real estate you like, you know primary residential uh, property is, is going up in value as well. People want a bigger yard now. Um, that's great. Keep that. But remember, that could all revert. People could want a, a condo in the city again sometime. So make sure you don't miss out uh, on your whatever it is you're choosing. Make sure you have a really good plan of attack. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up the segment, uh, not all retirement accounts are the same. We've talked about defined benefit, defined plan, or you know, contribution, IRA. I think perhaps you know guys who 
just have some of these. They just think, oh, well, they're all the same thing. But IRAs are treated differently in some respects, maybe a little bit easier than having to go through plan administrators to divide, right? Yeah, absolutely. The IRA, um, you, actually, you actually can avoid quite a bit of legal work uh, with the IRA. Um, there are situations where, where you cannot, in situations where your employer has created that benefit, where they're the ones that have contributed to your IRA. It's kind of a different vehicle. That's a rare circumstance, I think, though. Um, you need, and there are 401ks that have been rolled over into IRAs as well. You need to watch for some of those vehicles. But the traditional IRA, the, act, the independent retirement account, is something that is really tethered to the individual, the individual social security number, and the individual's income participation. So they're the ones that have made all the decisions to participate in this account. They are the ones that get to say where the account goes, how it's divided, all this stuff. You can divide it more easily than a 401k, obviously, because mm -hmm. there's, there's less legalities with it. But you got to be careful. You do have to be careful with these because while you can do an internal rollover from some of these accounts very easily, you have to be careful and make sure it follows the orders in your divorce. Because if you do, let's say you agree to divide a, uh, a property and for some reason that doesn't work out. And then later, a couple months later, the um, spouse and former spouse decide, well, hey, I'll just roll over some of this money from my IRA. Well, that's fine. But if the IRS comes knocking on your door a couple of years later and they say, well, I'm looking at your separation agreement. It doesn't say that this is a tax-free incident to divorce rollover, and you did one. Uh, we need to talk about you being taxed on this now. Now, all of a sudden, you could you could owe up to 25% or more on $500,000 or whatever the rollover was. Make sure that if you handle this IRA or roll it over in any way, Make sure it's very detailed in your separation agreement, how you've come to that agreement and how it qualifies as tax-free and shouldn't be recognized as income by the IRS. Yeah, right. Well, Michael, thanks. It's a complicated area. That's why we have attorneys who do this just like you. So I appreciate your time today. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Well, again, you know, it's complicated and you should have a consultation with someone who practices exclusively, exclusively not just in family law, but with tax and benefits, because we didn't even get into the tax issues and the ramifications of that. And it's very complicated, and but it's very important. So if you want a consultation, you can reach out to us at 866-DADS-LAW. Find us on the web at cordellcordell.com. We can do a consult on the phone via Zoom or WebEx, just like this, or you can come in in person. We have offices throughout the country, including the United Kingdom. So until next time, have a great week.